0: Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night. Andrew Boy on Twitter, at MMA L-O-T-N. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 10, headlined by Michelle Watterson and uh, Angela Hill. As we all know, Tiago Santos was supposed to fight Glover Teixeira here. However, Glover Teixeira tests positive for COVID-19, and they pushed that fight back to October 3rd. So here we are with a five-rounder now between Angela Hill and Michelle Watterson intriguing fight um before we get into that let's do a quick betting recap of the last event ufc vegas 9 uh where we had a ton of fights fucking fallout and it was very very unfortunate so we had my lock of the night play uh alexander Romanov and marcos hageria de lima to go under one and a half rounds uh we had minus 150 minus 149 uh that's a push de lima test positive for covid that fights off tiago Moises another fight we had uh 1.5 units i believe at minus 134 he tests positive for the day of that fight gets pulled as well too and uh oh yeah carol hosa we had two units on her at minus 140 something i can't remember the exact uh, number there uh but she has weight cutting issues the day before she gets pulled so three fuck yous pretty much right off the bat um so we end up only having three three uh three bets for the card uh, all of them dog-of-the-night plays, and we go 1-3 and three on it to still only uh, be down minus 0.8 units, so all in all, not too bad. Let's go over those real quick. We had one unit on Cosmo that plus 206. Uh, you know, uh, I thought that Cole was going to be able to at least steal two of those rounds, second and third. He steals the third round. Uh, second round, Hunter Azure just fucking, you know lands pretty much no damage in that round but just controls Cole Smith the entire time uh called it a you know decent work uh defending but uh you know Azure was did enough in that first and second round to to get the judges not I was happy with a plus two or 206 on Cole Smith because that fight did play out closer than the line had indicated uh next up we had Montana de la Rosa 1.5 units at uh plus 154 um you know de la Rosa kind of pulled a Cormier on me, you know what I mean? She she did not initiate or engage or create grappling opportunities as much as I expected her to. And Araujo looked great. You know, she battered her up. Uh, she landed good shots. Um, yeah, De La Rosa just, just could not close the distance well enough or even get this fight to the ground or even get them into positions that she could potentially win this fight. So good on Vivian Urugio to get that. That's minus 1.5 units there. And then our only cash of the night was OSP, 1.5 units at plus 113. We cashed for plus 1.7 units. A solid win for OSP there. I still don't understand the love that people had on Alonzo Um, especially my man Ken Flo on the Anakin Florent podcast, picking Manafield to win that fight via decision. The fuck Kenny. What the fuck? You even looking at or even researching any of these fights? I don't get it. But um, OSP comes through kind of easily. You know, I I did bet the uh, KO prop at plus eight fifty as well. And I'll be the first one to tell you that I thought it was going to be by OSP getting Alonzo menifield down. Um, uh, you know, working for a submission, not really getting the submission, but then you know, getting the back of menifield and just pounding him out that way. But I'll take the left hook counter regardless that deads at Alonzo field and that catches OSP for me uh wish I went a little bit deeper on that one too because I was very very uh you know I thought he was my best dog of the night play so I probably should have gone two or 2.5 units there and we probably would have ended up in the slight green regardless we're only minus 0.8 units I'm okay to take that small of a loss I'm still considering myself on a bit of a win streak just because there was no lock of the night play on that card uh so I'm still on paid picks I apologize but then again for five or ten bucks a month you guys really going to complain considering with the fucking run that i'm on and the reason i've been giving you guys just saying all right uh so yeah small loss on ufc vegas 9 but that brings us to ufc vegas 10 uh, decent card overall, you know. A lot of people are shitting on this card, but if you truly look at the uh, each one of these fighters and how they match up with their opponents, we know we're going to get a bunch of fireworks in these in, in this event. So I'm excited for it. You know, Match Now versus Tyson Am is probably one of the higher, more anticipated fights of the, of the weekend for me. Um, I don't really get into the Bellator card this weekend, but I'm really looking forward to Patchy Mix against Juan Archuleta as well, that should be a great fight, uh, Patchy just looks fucking unstoppable, 13-0, comes in as a decent favorite here as well too, um, but yeah, I, I, I I will let you guys know already, I do like Patchy Mix, I think he just, he's just going to be too overwhelming for Juan Archuleta here, uh, and we'll see him get probably a third or fourth round submission stoppage, um. Before I do get into the breakdowns, though, two things I want to address. First of all, uh, the Patreon. If you guys haven't hit up the Patreon yet, we hit a huge milestone over there, 100 patrons. I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, five bucks a month, you guys get early access to the breakdowns as I record them. And you guys also get a best bets and props article, which uh, details, obviously, very straightforward, the best bet. Um, that's usually either money line or the over-under, or... Um, uh, and sorry the best prop as well which i find you know whichever is the best prop uh, value for each fight as well a lot of people on the patreon uh, pretty much look forward to that every single week and i am dropping it now uh, pretty much after every weigh in uh, so i'm not wasting my time writing up on fights that don't ever end up happening uh, even though there are fights that get canceled on fight day but can't do anything about that, uh, so make sure you guys check that out. That's the best way to support your boy. I'm getting damn near close to finally fucking, you know, doing this shit full time, and and I I gotta give a lot of thanks to a lot of people that are on the Patreon, and especially to the people that are hopping over to the ten dollar a month one, just to throw your boy a little extra couple bucks to to make it a little bit easier. So uh, appreciate you guys checking that out. the uh, The link is in the description below. Make sure you guys go click on that and check it out and see what I have to offer there. Um, and then secondly. I'm gonna be doing another sweater draw. So I did uh, a sweater draw, uh, not the one that I'm currently wearing, but you will see it in the you know the breakdowns that are coming up uh, in this podcast. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube version, uh, it's the MMA Lock of the Night or MMA LOTN versus the Bookies hoodies. Uh, we have a black and a gray one that I'm giving away. I already gave one, or sorry, I gave giving two away on the Patreon for the Patreon members, but I will do one for the podcast listeners as well too. So it's very simple. If you're listening on the audio platforms, you're going to need to hop over to the YouTube video um, and uh, just comment. All you have to do is comment about your uh, picks for the night. You have to give a pick for every single fight on the card. Pick from the main event all the way down to the first fight. I don't need method of victory. I don't need any of that shit. Just who you think is going to win. Uh, and then at the end of the, the event, I'll tally it up. If we have a tie, I'll figure out a way to, to work out the tie. But we're only going to have one winner. Um, so and unfortunately, it's only a large. I have a black large and a, black, a gray um, large as well, too. So it's going to come down to, to one of those. So if you don't if you don't wear a large, maybe you can still win it and give it to somebody or something like that. But uh, yeah, so we're doing the sweater contest. Once again, just pick uh, comment below on the YouTube channel. Uh, every pick that you have for this upcoming UFC Vegas 10 card and I'll tally it up and uh, get in contact with whoever the winners are and then work out that tiebreaker if there is a tiebreaker of any sort. So, appreciate you guys, uh, you know, entering the contest. We had a lot of good feedback on the Patreon contest as well too. So, I thought I'd uh, give the next opportunity to the podcast listeners because you guys fucking make all this worth it. Um, So, yeah. That's the sweater contest. Very simple. All right, let's get into the breakdowns, uh, since that's what you guys are here for. And uh, hopefully I can sway you guys on some of these fights. And uh, maybe we'll see if you guys can figure out which fights I'm betting on. And if you really want to find out which fights I'm betting on, hit the Patreon. I've already told you guys about that. All right, let's get into the breakdowns sabina Mazo versus justine kish we got minus 250 on sabina and plus 210 on sabina or sorry on justine kish let's start off with sabina Mazo. she's eight and one her only loss was her ufc debut to marina morose in a very close fight where she tried to put the pedal into the gas in that um <clears throat> in the third round but it was a little bit too late for her uh Moroz ends up getting the victory there she comes back and gets a victory over shana dobson and over jj aldrich um, the Aldrich one was questionable. You know, I thought that uh, J.J. Aldrich did enough to win the first two rounds. Obviously, the first one was uh, enticing enough. The second round, I think, like, the, the, the last maybe forty five seconds to minute of that round really swayed the judges. You know, Maslow landed a pretty good head kick. Uh she had a little bit of success in that clinch. But for the majority of that round, JJ Aldrich did a really good job of closing the distance and landing her own shots. Um, you know, she was quicker to the punch. Uh she covered the distance very well. Uh and then obviously in that third round Sabina Maslow did a really good job in terms of, you know, once again putting the the pedal to the metal and uh and, and she pulled away a little bit in that third round. But uh, in my opinion, that was a bit of a poor decision. Uh, so unfortunate loss for JJ Aldrich there. But Sabina Maslow is now on a two fight winning streak. Uh, and she comes into this fight as a sizable favorite over Justine Kish, which I don't think is that justifiable. Let's not forget that when she was going in to fight Shanna Dobson, she went in as a minus 145 favorite. Here she is against Justine Kish, who, in my opinion, I rate much higher than Shanna Dobson. Uh, she comes in as a minus 250 favorite. Uh, the line is slowly starting to close. Uh, she was minus 285. A lot of people are starting to get on the tape, in my opinion, and saying that this could this fight could play out a lot closer uh, than a minus 250 would uh, w- would say. Um with that said, you know what we know Sabina Mazo's game. She likes to fight long. Uh, you know she does have a little bit of issues sometimes when uh, fighters do close the distance and come forward with punches. Um, you know she has a little bit of trouble with leg kicks as well too. But you know her own kicking game is very is very good. You know uh, her front kick. Um, from her lead leg is very very deceptive. Uh you know, she doesn't really have much of a wind up on it, so you don't really know if it's going to the leg to the body or to the head. Uh we saw her hurt Shana Dobson early in that fight uh with the beautiful leg kick to the to the body. Uh just because Shana Dobson in my opinion just didn't see it or didn't think it was coming there. More so thought it was probably coming to the legs. Uh but yeah, she she's deceptive with her striking, you know. She is long uh, she has better kicks than she has punches in my opinion. Uh her jab would do her very well if she was if she was wanted to keep her range uh you know let's just look at her metrics in terms of uh stature she's 5'7 with a 70 inch reach uh in Kish on the other side 5'5 with a 65 inch reach so obviously Kish is going to be at a slight disadvantage when it comes to size I don't think it's going to play out too uh difficult for her though as I think that uh Kish has the striking background the kickboxing background to be able to uh you know make this a closer fight than the plus 210 suggests um, you know, uh Justin Kish, she had a solid performance over Lucy purlova last time around where she you know, a lot of th- people thought that purlova was gonna be the one that has uh, you know, that 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 aggressive striking style that won't allow Justine Kish to really get comfortable. But it was kind of the opposite where we had uh Justine Kish, you know, kind of putting the pedal to the metal and really uh staying in his face, throwing leg kicks, was staying busy, you know. I truly think that this fight with uh, Mazo is gonna come down to who's the busier fighter, who has more output, as I don't think either woman is really going to be uh, you know, uh on track for a finish i I think this truly comes down to who throws more uh and and both women have high output you know mazo in her last couple fights she has hit the 100 strikes mark uh justine kish gets damn near close to that as well too but if you're talking about fighters that you know don't really have knockout power uh but throw a lot of strikes you know, you, you gotta kinda lean with the dog here. You you gotta think that Justine Kish will do enough to like like we've seen Sabina Mazw have trouble keep the uh, keeping the distance and keeping her her range from her opponents. And I think Kish will have a good uh game plan in terms of being able to mix into the leg kicks and then following up with punches or even the other way around, uh, to open up the the, the face and the body of Sabina Mazwell. I don't even think that the the headshots will be like the the main thing here for kish i think if she just settles on you know beating up the front leg and beating up the body it will eventually open up the head for her so um you know kish is very uh you know she she is uh quite experienced they're pretty much coming in with the same uh, amount of pro mma fights but keisha has been fighting on the the kickboxing scene a lot too uh keisha unfortunately has had uh leg surgery which is what kept her out between the ji-yoon kim fight and the lucy Putulova fights uh she had a huge uh layoff there uh but she looked good coming back in that Putalova fight you know she she was able to make some takedown at the end of the fight there to to really ride out that and and put a stamp on that uh on that fight and yeah you know it was a late takedown but she was able to land a couple of shots from on top uh but again she did uh do some good damage in that third round to to really sway the judges before the takedown itself um yeah it's it, it doesn't sit well with me that sabina masra is a minus 250 favorite here this fight should play out much closer than that and you could absolutely see a case where you know justine kish's uh output allows her to stay in this fight and possibly get a judge's nod so um yeah i i man it's tough to pick this fight but uh in terms of in terms of betting you got to go with the dog here like i would not feel comfortable comfortable at all uh parlaying sabina maswell here in a fight that should play out closer than the line insists so i will go with justin kish i will say that she's going to win by decision as i do believe that she has a solid kickboxing background we've seen her in the octagon she has uh solid combinations she has good leg kicks as well I'd be interested to see if she'll focus on those leg kicks, given Sabina Mazo's style, her stance, and how long she fights herself. So, um, I like Justine Kish to win this fight by decision. Uh, but even if you like Sabina Mazo, like I'd be hard pressed to 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 tell you that you should be um, you know parlaying her at that minus two fifty. If she gets down to minus one fifty, uh, minus one forty during fight week or closer to the fight. Um, you know, then I can't really blame you, but minus 250, that's too heavy of an implied odd, uh, odds in, to suggest that Mazzo has that big of an advantage on Justine Kish here. So, I like Kish. I'm going to take her to win this fight by decision, albeit a close one, but at plus 210, she's definitely the value side here, and don't let anybody <laughs> tell you any different. Brian Barbarina versus Anthony Ivy. We got minus 275 on Brian Barbarina and plus 235 on Anthony Ivey. Let's start off with Brian Barbarina. <clears throat> He's coming off of two losses in a row now to Vicente Luque and Randy Brown. Uh, funny that they both fought each other last, but uh, in here, he steps against Anthony Ivey. He takes roughly about three months off after that Randy Brown loss, um, and it was a solid victory for Randy Brown, or oh, sorry, no, not three months. It's been a year and three months since he's fought i know it's been a while since we we saw him fight so even saying it's been three months since he fought kind of sounded wrong to me but um he's taken an extended period of time off uh i'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing uh you know he he does like to stay active like more often than not if you look through his record he usually fights every three to six months so having this bit of a layoff here we have no idea how it's really going to affect him terms of his age he's 31 so he's still probably you know in prime fighting form but what we've seen in his last couple of fights especially the Randy Brown fight is a little bit of a diminishing of his of his skill set <clears throat> now I'm not completely going to go out there and say that uh you know that it that it's uh that we can just go out there and write him off now but this fight against Anthony Ivey is a little bit stylistically it's a, it's it's tough it's a it's a tough fight for him You know, Anthony Ivey, I I went pretty hard on him in the the last fight that he had, his UFC debut. And again, I think he's probably going to be the last ever debuting fighter that I'd bet. But um, that fight didn't really teach us anything that we didn't already know. You know, especially about uh, Christian Aguilera. Um, Christian Aguilera. Aguilera. Yeah, got to get that right. Um, You know, we knew Aguilera's path to victory in that fight was a first round knockout. What did he do? He got a first round knockout first minute knockout too uh beautiful finish of anthony ivy in that fight um but i don't really see brian barbarina as that one punch knockout power type of guy um you know i think it's an accumulation of damage that barbarina really needs to put on his opponent uh to 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 win a fight um you know he's he he's a kind of a jack of all trades uh not really the greatest on the ground like I, i wouldn't say that's his strong suit um he he does have a couple of submission victories under his belt, but uh, you know he he is an overall like complete package. Uh, the guy does throw in combinations a little bit. He's gritty. He's tough. He's tough to get out of there. But I think what he's facing here in Anthony Ivy is going to be a tough test. Um, Anthony Ivy kind of has a similar stature to what Randy Brown brought to the game, uh, but Randy Brown is a much better striker than Anthony Ivy. Anthony Ivy uses his kicks very well. You know a lot of head kicks a lot of leg kicks a lot of body kicks uh he likes to keep his opponents at range and then once he you know finds the opening he pushes his opponents up against the cage and starts to drag them down and starts to you know implement his suffocating grappling i'm a big fan of his grappling you know he's very very offensive with it uh he you know he seeks the submission pretty much from any position uh he's very active with his guard um I, I just like how smothering he is so if he's able to push brian barbarina up against the cage he could definitely be the stronger guy here too so that will definitely play a factor in terms of him keeping Bar- barbarina up against the cage and then eventually you know succeeding on uh takedowns in terms of takedown defense from brian barbarina ufc stats has him at 43 percent uh takedown defense uh but i think that has a lot to do with the amount of takedowns that colby coming. Kobe uh, covington was able to land on him he landed 12 of 17 takedown attempts uh on on barbarina but you know even if you look at other fights uh the last fight that he you know an opponent stuffed or sorry uh shot a takedown but he stuffed all of them was the warley fight ba- way back in may of 2016 that was over what is that six, six seven fights ago but since then uh you know Kobe Col- covington and leon edwards were the only ones to really shoot for takedowns uh you know uh, Joel Proctor, Jake Ellenberger, Vicente Luque, and Randy Brown—none of them really shot for takedowns, so you can't really say where Barbarina's takedown defense is completely. And I—I uh, I think a lot of people are just reading a little bit too much into Ivy getting knocked out quick in his first fight. You know, Barbarina should not be minus two seventy-five in this spot. It's tough to really trust him. He even got up to like the minus three hundred range, I believe, uh, and then slowly got back back down to minus two seventy-five. But uh, plus 235 plus 240 is a solid price tag in my opinion for Anthony Ivy. Um, you know I think Ivy has a lot to offer in this fight in terms of making it close pushing up Barbarina against the cage and even the over one and a half at minus 130 I think that's a solid price tag too um, you know I, I like the shot on Ivy here as a dog uh, just due to again the, the line being a little bit wide I think he will be successful in terms of stifling the the grittiness of Barbarina in terms of just pushing him up against the cage, making it dirty, uh, you know, landing leg kicks from distance, but then main, mainly doing his work in the clinch and then slowly getting Barbarina down and then just, you know, grappling him. Uh, you know, we did see a little bit of fundamental mistakes that he did against Randy Brown in the clinch where he gave up his back a couple times. And if you give up to your back to Anthony Ivey, I think Ivey will uh, be a lot quicker in terms of like snatching in the hooks and uh, snatching in, uh, you, you know, a choke of some sort or at least threatening with the submission. And threatening getting this fight to the ground so uh yeah I, I like ivy in this fight uh as a solid dog too you know it's it's worth a little bit of a shot to to see if he uh you know if if he could actually get it done um yeah i still need to see a little bit more from barbarina especially recently um he needs to kind of prove that he's not really truly on a, do- a decline even though he's only 31 years old uh yeah he has a little bit too many holes in his game and Uh, Again, I don't think he has that one-punch knockout threat, so Ivy shouldn't be too worried right off the bat. Uh, But, you know, I think we see Ivy come out there a little bit hesitant at first in terms of just throwing his leg kicks, keeping his range, and then just waiting for the proper opportunity to, to close the distance and start working his grappling, which, you know, pretty much everybody and the mother is expecting Anthony Ivy to do here if you know anything about Ivy. So I think Barbarino will be prepared, but I think it will still be a little bit too much for him uh with ivy uh you know i don't know if you'll get the submission um you know what let's say ivy via third round submission uh but uh yeah i do like the over in this as well too minus 130 is not that bad as i do think both guys are pretty durable and i do suspect that uh barbara will be able to you know survive at least for seven and a half minutes if it comes down to the grappling realm uh and then ivy's chin should be okay in terms of barbering not you know, being a, a huge knockout threat, so I will take Ivy to win this fight. You know what? I'll even say by by decision. I think Ivy just controls this fight from uh, from the top position. Uh, gets close to some submissions, but doesn't really pull it off. But I will take Ivy to win this fight via decision. Jalen Turner versus Brock Weaver. We got minus three twenty five on Jalen Tarangela Turner and plus two fifty on Brock Weaver. Who, uh, you know just got a uh, a late replacement here he's supposed to fight Frank Camacho Camacho test positive for COVID in steps Jalen Turner who was supposed to fight last week uh but that fight got pulled the day of because Tiago Moises his former opponent tested positive for COVID on the day of so uh luckily for both Weaver and Turner Weaver uh, sorry Turner stuck around in Vegas and uh he was able to get a quick turnaround here against Brock Weaver um so the the line pretty much just came out, and it is obviously juiced in terms of uh, Jalen Turner side. And to be honest, I understand it. I get it, and I'm totally on board with it. Uh, I, I don't mind it at all because I, I see it here. So th- let's break this fight down. So if you guys remember my Jalen Turner and Matt, uh, what was it? Jalen Turner and Tiago Moises breakdown. Um, you know, I did pick Moises to win that. I did have a small bet on Wise as well, too, as his odds continue to drop. I think I got him at minus 134 or minus 137. uh, But I thought it was going to come down to the takedowns. And yeah, and that does seem to be Brock Weaver's game more often than not now. But with that said, I feel like Turner has much better jujitsu than Weaver has. And Weaver sometimes struggles to keep his opponents down. Uh, And I I just feel like Turner has much better jujitsu than Weaver. Um, you know, I feel like he'll be able to throw up submissions. Uh, he'll be able to reverse Weaver. Uh, I think Weaver's only chance to really win this fight is to try to get this fight to the ground and just clinch or either clinch or turn her up against the cage, get this fight to the ground, and try to ride p- top position. But I just don't feel like he'll he'll be able to secure those positions uh, against a much lengthier, uh, a better grappler, in my opinion, too. Maybe not a better wrestler, but a definitely a better jujitsu player. Um, and then obviously the the advantage on the feet in terms of re- reach and height let's just break that down we got six five and a half 75 and a half inch reach for Jalen Turner and then we got six uh, feet and 73 inches for uh, Brock Weaver so you know about a three inch height advantage for Jalen Turner here and about a two and a half inch reach advantage I believe it is but uh, Jalen Turner does long. long. Uh, his stand-up is slowly starting to get better, too. Uh, I'd be surprised to see if Weaver has to hang out on the feet. But I do think that even Turner would probably want to get this fight to the ground and implement a submission game. So uh, I do like Turner to win this fight. I truly, truly believe that uh, he's more than deserving of that juice line. He's par- I think he's a good parlay piece, to be honest. Uh, even at the minus 325, minus 350 range, I think uh, even up to minus 400, you could parlay this guy Um yeah, I find it really, really hard to believe that Brock Weaver is going to go out there and control uh, Jalen Turner. You know, I thought uh, Moises was going to have much better success on the ground against Jalen Turner because he's a higher level jujitsu guy, and you know he's just a much better uh, pure jujitsu guy. Uh, but Jalen Turner is crafty on the ground, and uh, I feel like if Brock Weaver tries to, you know, tries to just settle on top he's just not going to be able to I think Turner is quite active off of his back Um, he has good reversals good sweeps um, and he's decent on the feet too you know he is getting better with his kicks he's getting better with his hands his range is obviously going to be in his favor here too Um, I could absolutely see him finishing this fight as well Um, that that's absolutely a possibility Um, you know I do wish we got to see Turner against Moises last time because I don't think a victory over Weaver here really tells us much more than we already know about Jalen Turner. Like, the kid's good. Don't get me wrong. He's good. But uh, I want to see him against higher level opponent. I thought that Tiago Moises was that higher level of opponent. Brock Weaver is a step down, in my opinion. At least we can say that Brock Weaver is better than Joshua Koulibau and better than Callum Potter. So you know this is at least a step up in terms of wins that he's had um I'd say he's worse than Matt Vola and worse than Vicente Luca I'm talking about Ro- Brock Weaver so uh you know this is slightly better, a better step in the right direction for Jalen Turner but uh this should be a cakewalk for him I, I truly think that he's going to have a lot of success here he should go out there take down Brock Weaver uh or, or play around on the feet a little bit it's I think if Weaver wants to get Turner down, it will be an eventuality. It's it's going to happen, but I just don't trust Weaver being able to stay on, stay on top here. So I'm going to take Jalen Turner to win this fight via and either ground and pound or submission. Maybe inside the distance, I'd like to see what that line is, if that drops. Uh, I'm assuming with him being a minus 350-ish favorite right now, the inside the distance will probably be like minus 125, minus 130 or something like that. Uh, so I'd be happy just to parlay him here. Uh, Because I think this is a prime spot. So I'm taking the tarantula to win this fight. Probably by first or second round submission. Alexander Romanov versus Roki Martinez. We got minus 280 on King Kong. And plus 220 on Roki Martinez. Let's start off with Martinez. He's coming over from Rizin. Coming over on short notice. We all know that Romanov was supposed to fight last weekend against Marcos Hagirio de Lima. Uh, De Lima test positive for COVID on the day of the event, uh, kind of similar to the Jalen Turner and uh, Tiago Moises situation, and luckily for them, they both get, you know, quick turnarounds in terms of, uh, you know, get, getting an opponent that's willing to step on on there, uh, you know, good for Romanov not having to fly all the way back home, uh, you know, he stuck it around in Vegas, I'm pretty sure that he got a heads up that they were trying to find him an opponent, uh, and luckily they did, they found Rocky Martinez, hopefully there's no, like, weigh-in day or or fight day positive covid test for martinez because that would really suck for romanov as well so let's get into roki a little bit uh like i said came over from risen was the deep impact champion as well uh most notable fights as of late was to merkel krokop that was in uh, september of 2018 where he lost via a cut Uh, uh that one was tough you know um what were the odds for that fight yeah, they don't have odds out on on uh, topology, but that that one was a little tough strictly due to the cut wasn't that bad. Yeah, they don't even have the odds on uh, on best fight odds either. But yeah, it was like a cut right on the top of his forehead, just by his uh, hairline, and it was from a beautiful elbow from Miracle Krokop. But I feel like he could have left that, let that fight continue to go, and uh, he felt the same way. Uh, you know, unfortunately for him, they stopped the fight. Krokop gets the win uh say what you want about some possible tampering or or fixing or rigging but uh unfortunate loss from there he looked decent in that fight you know he was eating a lot of shots from Krokop too uh but yeah that was a fight that he ended up losing and then another notable fight that he lost was to jake Hune. uh a lot of people know him too but Hune uh you know they pretty much just went to war back and forth uh and uh Hewn came out with a split decision victory his last two fights were against a guy named seijo mizuguchi and uh, Hideki Sakain, uh, both of these guys, Seijo, 44 years old, Hideki, 47 years old. It took him seven minutes to get Seijo out of there, and then it took him four minutes to get H- Hideki out of there. If it was Romanov in that fight, or in both of those fights, he probably would have gotten both guys out of there within less than two minutes. You know, Rokiri seems more like a, you know, a point-fighting heavyweight. He doesn't seem to have, like, crazy knockout power, um, you know, uh, you know he he throws in combinations. He throws a couple of kicks here and there, but he doesn't seem like the type of guy that's like rushing to get fi- fights to the ground or rushing to get fights over with. Um, you know, we did see a, an an interesting flying knee from him against that forty four year old, uh, but you know he he's nothing spectacular. There's nothing that really jumps out of the page on me at me to make me think that this guy's going to be like making a heavyweight run or anything like that. He's 34 years old. Uh, you know, if he wants to make a run at all, this is his time. And uh, it's good to go up against a guy like Alexander Romanov, who's also making his UFC debut. Um, the odds, a little wide, I won't lie. Um, I do still favor Romanov. Uh, if you guys do remember my breakdown of him from the last uh, event, uh, you know, the guy likes to just go for it. He's from the first bell, he likes to rush in there. Uh, you know, likes to take his opponents down and try to ground and pound them try to King Kong pound him out uh, with crazy hammer fists, uh, or he looks for submissions on the ground as well, too. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit too much for Roki. I think that Romanov is just going to pretty much rush him, take him down, and just start wailing on him. You know, Martinez, a little bit heavy set, if you want to call it that. Romanov, too, but Martinez just doesn't seem to hold it as well as Romanov. Um, So, yeah, I, I think uh, M- Martinez is going to have a hard time getting Romanov off of him, uh, and we'll, we'll see a quick finish for Romanov in my opinion. I think that we'll see him go in there and, and take it down within like the first 30 seconds uh, and then just start to to pound him. You know, I, uh, Romanov does a good job in terms of like being quite agile. Uh, again, that's kind of deceiving for a guy that's as built as he, not, built, not like ripped or anything, but like physically how he looks. Uh, it's, it's kind of deceiving whenever you see him actually like doing flips and and staying one step ahead of his opponents when it's when it comes down to the grappling scrambles so that's what I expect here with him and Roki I think he's going to be one step ahead pretty much at all times uh and he's just going to continue to pound out Roki I think you know Roki is kind of durable um you know that he hasn't been finished since he got an Achilles lock lost to Kazushi Tazawa. that was back in 2010 so it's been over 10 years since he's actually lost uh via finish you know with the exception of the Krokop cut uh but yeah I think Romanov is just a fighter that he hasn't fought before you know his sketchy records on uh Martinez's um Martinez's record as well too let's just look back like he he seemed to have taken a two-year layoff uh after his Kevin Fatale fight but since then he's fought a guy that was four and one eight and two then one and one That was actually to da Jung, who is now in the UFC. So Jung actually turned out to be pretty well. Uh, 8-4-2, 13-7-2, 16-11, 2-2, Jai Deep Singh. I'm sure most of you guys remember him as the guy that Fedor made his return fight with. uh, Mainly a kickboxer. Took uh, Roki Martinez the full 15 minutes to go out there and beat him. Was that a three-rounder or a five-rounder? Yeah, that was a three-rounder. Uh Jerome LeBanner, another uh, well-known kickboxer, uh, headlock finished him in the first round, but he was four and two. 11 and ten, thirty-six and eleven miracle crow Cup. then Rio Sakai was eight and eight jay kuhn was 12 and 9 he lost that fight seiji mizuguchi was 12 and 9 say uh and hideki Sakai was 8 and 3 not to mention 47 years old as well too so uh sketchy sketchy uh resume for roki but uh romanov on the other hand i think he just has a little bit more in the in the in the in the gas tank i think he just uh you know has that extra gear that roki doesn't have Uh, And if Romanov is not able to get it done in that first round, it could get interesting. But I do think that Romanov is just going to be too much for Martinez to handle. And he just hasn't fought anybody like Martinez. Or or, sorry, uh, Martinez has not fought anybody like Romanov in a long time. Like he's, uh, again, like I said, a very, very sketchy uh, record and resume. So I'm expecting Romanov to go in there and get a first round finish. I'll be looking for that first round prop and seeing what they release it as. Uh, But yeah, i like Romanov to win this fight via first round TKO. Matt Favola versus Roosevelt Roberts. We got minus 115 on Roberts and minus 105 on the Steam Roller. Um, but if you guys look at most other books, you will see uh, plus money beside Matt Favola's name. you see plus 107, plus 110, plus 109. So it seems like there is a little bit of money coming in on Roosevelt Roberts as this week progresses. Um, it opened pretty much out of him and it kind of makes sense. But the more you look into it, you got to favor... Uh, Matt Fravola. So let's start off with Fravola. He's coming off of two wins uh, over Jalen Turner and Luis Pena. Uh, Luis Pena fight being a little bit closer than the Turner fight, but both those guys having the same type of stature. You know, tall, lanky guys um, that have decent grappling. But Matt Fravola went out there and showed that you know his superior wrestling was going to be the, the 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 X factor in those fights. And I expect the same thing here against Roosevelt Roberts. You know, the one thing that I did like in uh, from Matt Favola and that Luis Pena fight is that we saw that his his striking was slowly getting better too. You know, he's not a, a Fibinski type of fighter where he's just going out there and just going balls to the wall trying to like, you know, dive for takedowns and get desperate for takedowns. He's not that type of fighter. Um... And that's good for him. That will fare him well here, but he needs to be careful. You know, Roosevelt Roberts, uh, the standout thing for him is striking. The guy has fast hands. He has some power in his hands, too. But I think that's kind of where it stops. Even though he got a submission victory over Brock Weaver in his last fight, um, or sorry, the fight before that, uh, because he had uh, the loss to Jim Miller, uh, pretty much, you know, what was it? 20, 21 days, three weeks after the Brock Weaver fight. Um, you know, even though he has a submission victory there, his grappling is just not, you know, it's not top notch. And I think that for Volo's wrestling could absolutely give him trouble there. Um, you know again it's very important that Frivola has some hands to back up that that grappling because if he just goes in with a strictly a grappling approach i think that roberts will have decent success in terms of stuffing some takedowns but there is a lot of work that needs to be done with roberts's takedown defense um you know i'm not completely enthralled by his takedown defense which kind of makes him uh you know not as uh, doesn't give him as much potential as I originally gave him. You know, a lot of people are really high on him, uh, you know, going into that Vince Michelle fight. And then to showed that, like, if you have solid grappling, you could definitely take advantage of of that uh, that flaw that Roberts has. Uh, Yakovlev was not as successful with it, but I think that Frivola has a much better wrestling pedigree, uh, which should help him get the victory in this fight. Um, you know, I, I am a fan of Roberts in the sense that his hands look really good. He he hasn't been training MMA that long, and he made his debut back in twenty sixteen. Um, you know, Frivola has roughly about two years on him, but he also has an extensive amateur record as well, too. Um but uh, I, I truly think that it's going to come down to Favola's all-around game. And his jiu-jitsu is not that bad as well. You know, training at Matt, uh, with Matt Serra and those BJJ guys over there in the the New York area, um, you know, he has a solid he has a solid pedigree there. Uh, obviously, most of his victories have come via, you know, finish. He likes to, you know, go out there and drop guys and, and follow up with a submission or just follow up with a little bit of ground and pound. But his hands have a lot of power, so let's not forget about that. It's not just about the grappling for Favola for in this fight fight um i obviously believe that roberts will be quicker to the punch uh he'll be slightly faster uh might have the slight power advantage but again for has some bombs in his hands too but it truly comes down to the overall game and i think that for mixes the game a lot better than roberts um i think he'll do enough to be able to get at least two judges scorecards um yeah, I, I really like Favola here, you know, the way he was able to like take down Gillian turn out well, uh, have a couple of successful takedowns against Luis Pena as well too, who has a credentialed wrestling background of his own, um, just leads me to believe that he'll be able to do the same thing to Roosevelt Roberts here obviously the takedown or the the knockout is there for Robertson that first round but after that I, I don't think uh that his chances get any better of knocking off Matt Favola. Favola has a solid cardio gas tank you know I mean he's he's able to go hard from rounds minute one to minute 15. uh you know we've seen him in trouble in the past before where he gets clipped and dropped uh but he's able to you know gather his wits and get right back into it um you know a lot of people will tell you that if you get rocked and dropped it definitely affects your cardio and will have have uh you know bad effects uh, later on in the fight but Matt Frivola pretty much just shows the opposite of that you know he he shows that he can c- continue taking even after he gets dropped so I do like Frivola in this spot I do like that the odds again slightly better um and you know he's one of my stronger leans on this card had, and after running the tape it kind of cements that um a lot of people betting on Roberts here uh are still kind of uh banking on his potential you know it's clear he obviously has a better hands but after that uh it's his grappling that really needs a little bit of work and a lot of people thought that you know brock weaver would be able to test him in that but i don't think that brock weaver is as good of a wrestler as matt favola nor does he really have the technical abilities to you know complete takedowns uh, against higher level opponents like roosevelt roberts so um you know don't read too much now in that, into that weaver fight even though that's kind of weaver's strong suit at least on the regional scene but matt favola has been getting it done in that, ass, uh, in that type of way uh, in the UFC for a little bit now so I do like uh, Matt Frivola to win this fight I do think that he'll uh, you know he'll be able to get Roberts down over and over again um, and really just wear on him from that top position uh, so I'm going to take Frivola to win this fight via decision. Julia Avila versus Sajara Eubanks we got minus 300 on Avila raging panda And plus 250 on Sarge Eubanks. Um, Let's start off with Sajara. You know, she was supposed to fight uh, last week, or I believe the week before. Yeah, it was last week against... um, Who the hell was she she supposed to fight? um oh yeah Carol Hosa and that's a fight where I had uh, a little bit of money on Carol Hosa unfortunately that gets uh changed to a push because Carol Hosa ends up having weight cutting issues uh a day before the weigh in so she gets pulled Sajara uh quickly gets rebooked against Julia Vila and very surprised as she took that fight um considering uh the the type of opposition that Avila is going to be presenting um you know Hosa is more so a, an efficient type striker uh solid ground game uh but really look to you know be a type of fighter that wants to put together a couple punches follow up with the leg kick um you know just be efficient on the feet you know try to go out there and outpoint point uh, Raging Panda on the other hand pretty much lives up to her nickname almost every time out um you know, Sajara has decent striking, uh, you know, her output and her um, aggression really starts to dwindle later in the rounds, um, as we saw in her fight against, you know, Bechkoia, Aspen Ladd. The Sarah Morass fight, she had a lot of success from belt to belt just due to, you know, the the lack of striking coming back to her from Sarah Morass uh, Moras's real really only like path to victory in that fight was trying to get you Banks down and maybe dominate her in the uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu run, but she couldn't even uh, do that. Avila, on the other hand, I think is going to have a lot more success. You know, Avila, brown belt in Jiu-Jitsu, uh, but most of her chops have really come from the striking. And she has this I'm gonna call it the raging panda mode where like she looks very calm and collected and just kind of calculating what's going on around her and then she just turns on the switch where she just like bull rushes forward uh, you know starts off with a nice jab comes over with the with the straight over that and then just starts to swarm her opponent up against the cage um, you know sometimes she'll look for a takedown after that more often not, she just looks to like pound at her opponent uh, you know mix in some beautiful uh, knees uh, her front kick up the middle is a thing of beauty as well which really led to the finish of Alexa Connors and her last Invicta fight, Um, you know, in the Pani Kianzad fight, you know, Kianzad had a little bit of success on the feet, but it was more so Julia Villa just really turning it on in these situations where, uh, you know, there was was one time where Pani Kianzad is kind of like waving her on be like all right come let's go let's go like she's really like feeling herself and then like maybe 10 seconds later, Julia Villa just rushes forward turns on that raging panda mode uh clocks panic that beautifully um you know questionable decision making after that in terms of uh going for uh, a takedown compared to and clinching up rather than just unloading on the feet because she probably would have found the finish but regardless she still found a, a dominating victory um she she just has she has great cardio as well too uh and she she seems like a fighter um it, it's kind of weird coming from uh somebody who's a geologist as well too uh she's very very intelligent she's very smart uh but she is absolutely a raging panda when it comes into the cage uh so yeah she is deserving of that minus 300 especially against the eubanks who i think will definitely fold under that pressure um you know sarge may have a little bit of success in that first round but after that Julia Avila is going to come hard uh, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see Julia Avila get a second round finish here um, I, I think just her uh, her tenacity behind her striking um, you know the her commitment to her striking as well too Sajari Banks just likes to throw out a couple shots here and there she doesn't really have too much behind them uh, but uh, Avila man she's she's very intimidating she has a, a strong game uh again her wrestling is good too uh her jiu she's a, bl- a brown belt so i think she'll be able to hold her own if it gets into the into that realm uh, but i truly think she'll do her best work on the feet in terms of just overwhelming sarge uh you know pushing her up against the cage and then just unloading strikes on her um i think it could look similar to the aspen lad fight but with more success for julia vila you know Aspen Ladd has this weird striking style where she she looks stiff you know what I mean she she stands up in this upright position and she throws a couple of shots and it just doesn't look the best and it doesn't seem like she has much behind it either obviously Aspen Ladd's best game comes when she's able to grapple fuck her opponents get them to the ground and kind of pound them up from on top Julia Avila is able to do that but also mix in the striking too so uh yeah I think that Avila is a uh, you know, she, she's a strong woman as well, that bantamweight. So Sajar is going to have to deal with a little bit of a strength discrepancy here. Um, but I think, um, you know, Avila is, if she was able to be a little bit more active, she would probably be like in title talks already. You know what I mean? She would be a, a top contender by far, in my opinion. Like, look at all these. So she was supposed to make her UFC debut in July of 2019. She ends up doing that. I'm uh, not sure if that was supposed to be a sneeze or a yawn but regardless something came out. Anyway, um yeah, uh she fought uh Panikhan in July, but then she was scheduled to fight in October. Uh who pulled out there? She pulled out there uh Hosa pulled out there. Uh they rebooked a Hosa fight for f- April, then that obviously gets canceled due to the uh the pandemic. Then she's supposed to fight Hosa again. Um that gets canceled. Uh Hosa withdraws June 13th. And then now, uh, and then that night, she ended up fighting Gina Mazzini. Uh, and then she was supposed to fight uh, Nico Montano August 8th. That gets uh, rescheduled to September 9th. Montano tests positive for COVID. And then she gets pushed back another week now to fight Sajar Eubanks. Um, it's weird that they, oh no, wait. It's weird that they have October 3rd her for her to still fight Nico Montano. Maybe they're pulling a K- Kamzachimaya. For <laughs> they're just booking two fights for this guy, assuming that he's going to win the last one. But. Regardless, in this fight against Sajar Eubanks, a very, very winnable fight for her, uh, kind of tailor made for her too. You know, the longer this fight goes, the the easier it will for the easier it will be for Viola to get Sajara out of there. Um, yeah, you know, kudos to Sajara for even taking this fight. Um, stylistically, just not a good fight. The the, the most jar will be able to hope for is to be able to to outpoint Julia on the feet. Um, I think early, the output will be in Sajar's favor. But the longer this fight goes, I think Avila turns it on, really gets moving forward, uh, and cracks the draw. I, I truly think that we'll see Avila get a, a second or a third round stoppage here. So I'd be interested to see what that looks like. Um, in terms of the, the fight doesn't go to decision, which is the only prop that's out right now, plus 130 for the fight doesn't go to decision, So and it's closing too because yeah it opened up plus 150 it's down to plus 130 now i expect that to close a little bit more as people start to believe in julia vila's finishing finishing ability so i'm taking julia vila to win this fight by second round tko uh and i think she just makes it look easy and look out for this woman she is she will definitely be a top contender in the 135 pound division tyson nam versus matt schnell we got minus 125 on tyson nam and plus 105 on Matt Danger Snell. Um, you can get him as good as plus 108, plus 110 on some bookies. And uh, the line was pretty much a pick-em as I started researching this fight, and the line seemed to have slowly, uh, you know, widened a little bit from uh, Tyson Nam. So let's start off with Tyson M. You know, he's two or one and two in the UFC. Uh, two losses to Sergio Perez and Kai Kara-France, and then he goes in there and knocks out Zeruk Adeshev, uh, who, in my opinion, you know say what you want about his uh, kickboxing experience uh, one he d- didn't seem like he came in shape at all for that fight uh and two the guy is super fucking small and uh you know Tyson had a huge reach advantage there which in my opinion really allowed him to uh exaggerate the amount of power that he had in his hands as you know Zarouk had to be really close to land that leg kick that he uh eventually was countered on and uh Tyson and I really was able to push through that counter uh and really put Pretty much punched through zaruk's face uh to to pretty much render him unconscious it was insane uh how out zaruka uh Adeshev was in that fight but that's pretty much the way tyson nam wins his fights you know if he's not able to get the knockout it's really it's very tough for him to really go out there and get a a decision victory like he he had one decision victory against a guy named Shojin Miki who was six and four going into that fight so you got to assume that he wasn't the greatest of oppositions the Ali Bagotinov fight he was close to losing that fight he was one second away or sorry that was a five-round fight um yeah he got that uh head kick finish on Bagotinov with one second left in the third round in a fight where he was pretty much you know losing that fight as well um but here he is against Matt Schnell, who in my opinion is the much better technical striker and also a more uh, active striker as well too. Uh, has more output, has decent head movement. Like it looks weird because his head is always just straight, but he moves it pretty well from side to side. Um, he has, I think Schnell has the quicker hands. Um, in terms of the reach, I think Nam will be, uh, um, ha- will have a little bit of a, a reach advantage so we are actually tight uh it looks like Matchnell actually has the advantage there so tyson i'm five seven 68 inch reach 72 and a half inch reach with five eight for uh for match now so i'm that is actually a little bit surprising i don't know why i thought that uh tyson was going to be the, the the longer fighter here but regardless uh, that that works even more in favor of match now in my opinion so Matchnall's last loss, obviously, he got knocked out by Alex- Alexandre Pantoja. Um, you know, beautiful counter overhand right from Ale- Alexandre Pantoja that pretty much face planted Um So tough finish for Matchnell there. But before that, he was riding a four-fight winning streak over Marco Beltran, Naoki Inoue, handed him his first loss there. Luis Smoka and Jordan Espinoza. Uh, those last two, he actually got finishes and first round finishes as well too, um, and you know he looked good in the Pantoja fight. Like he was, he was going strike for strike with Pantoja. He was landing him uh, a couple times, he even rocked Pantoja at a, at a point. Pantoja was doing uh, was able to do a good job in terms of getting his wits back about him. Uh, you got to question slightly the fight IQ of Machinel to, to pull guard when he had uh, Alexandre Pantoja hurt there. Um, you know, thinking that he was probably going to throw up some slick submission or something like that. Didn't really work out in his favor. Uh, and then obviously pays for it later on in that round. I think in this fight, it's going to come down to whether Tyson Nam uh, uh, you know, lands that knockout shot, lands that, that kill shot. If he's not able to, I think now boxes his face off. He will strike his face off if Tyson Nam's not able to 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 really get him out of there. And, uh, you know, again, I'm not sure why I thought that Nam was going to have the the reach and length advantage here. But it makes me feel a little bit safer, uh, you know, leaning Schnell the way I am uh, post-tape now. You know, Chanel has, if he's going to have a little bit of a reach advantage, I think he'll be able to get his shots in and get out before really eating too much damage from Tyson Nam. It's it's crazy to me the recency bias that we're getting here with Tyson M in terms of getting that minus 125. And I think the line is only going to get worse on Tyson M which means it'll only get better on Match Now. So I'm going to be waiting it out a little bit. I think that we will see more people put money on Tyson M especially considering that he got a quick knockout in his last fight. And we've seen Match Now get knocked out a couple times now in the UFC. Um you know, I think that's prime for some wiki cappers to go out there and just put some money on Tyson Am, thinking that he's going to win this fight. I think the way you you have to look for Tyson Am to win this fight, um, Tyson Am wins inside the distance, is 155. Um, Snow to win inside the distance is plus 290. I I do think that Snow wins by decision. I think he just pretty much outpieces him uh for all fifteen minutes. Um the only shot I would really give Tyson Am here is uh if he gets that first round knockout. And uh that I'd be interested to see what that prop looks like. Uh, you know as of this recording we don't have that information available to us but i think that Tyson Nam is like round 1 ko or bust and i know that he's had a couple kos later you know in the third round and all that but i think that the 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 type of striking that's going to be coming from Matt Chanel is really going to render Tyson Nam kind of like immobile like it's just going to be like i don't know what the fuck to do there's too much coming my way and it's coming very fast too like Chanel has uh, really good striking. Uh, very crisp. Very. He has a huge lot of pop on his shots too. Um, and again, I think it comes down to the combinations and the, the the volume of strikes that we're going to be seeing from match now uh with tyson am very rarely do you ever see him throw more than two strikes in in a combination you know match no, we get a lot more than that uh not just uh, a lot more we get a lot of pop on those shots as well too so tyson am just seems like sometimes he has a little bit too much fun in there in terms of getting hit and then whenever he does land a decent shot on his opponent he he kind of admires his work a little bit too much and just you know, is a little bit lackadaisical in the cage at times. Matchnell on the other hand, I think he's pretty much like in the game from like from bell to bell. He he knows that he has a job to go and do and until he gets his opponent out of there, he doesn't really take a back step. So um yeah, Tyson, I'm a little bit too you know, carefree in the cage for my liking. Uh and I'm again I think it's just a lot of people with the recency bias here seeing that Tyson M won his last fight by quick knockout and Match No recently got knocked out too. So let the wiki cappers <laughs> do their thing with the betting line. Just sit back uh you know we might get a plus 120 plus 125 on match now at a certain point uh but I, I you know I, if if Am goes out there and knocks him out in the first round I'd be happy to lose a little bit of money on that because that's his only path to victory just like the Alonzo Menafield fight from last week you know if Menafield went out there and knocked out OSP in that first round I would have been fine with that because I know that's pretty much his own path to victory but once I got out of the first round, or even as that fight started to go on, you know, we saw that OSP was starting to take over. And I think that's go- that's what's going to happen here with Match Now. But I think that he will be uh, more assertive than OSP was right from the get go. I think Tyson Am's really going to feel the power, uh, pressure, and the volume on Chanel from the get go. And it's not going to allow him to really, you know, get off a good enough counter or even, uh, you know, close that distance enough to be able to knock out, or to get a knockout blow on uh, match now so i'm going to go with match now to win this fight via decision um yeah i'm just going to wait it out to see how much better that line gets as i truly believe that more money will come in on tyson m as this week goes on so let's just sit back and capitalize and uh, capitalize on it when we get a chance so once again i got match now to win this fight via decision billy Quarantello versus kyle nelson We got minus 250 on Billy Q and plus 210 on the monster Kyle Nelson. Uh, The fight doesn't go to decision is minus 185 under two and a half is minus 140. And I do expect this fight to not go to a decision. Does it go under two and a half rounds? Not 100% sure. But there is one path to victory that I'm really uh, liking here and I'll uh, probably try to exploit. So let's start off with Kyle Nelson. Uh, He's a guy up here from, uh, from the Ontario region uh you know northern toronto uh, i wouldn't even call it toronto because it's like an hour and a half north of here <clears throat> but he's from like the muskoka area uh you know he's he's been uh, he's been around for a while he's made a name for himself on the regional scene uh he fought on a couple of shows that i actually worked back in the day um his score fighting series uh scc1 scc2 uh, and then he finally broke out into the ufc Uh, after you know getting victories over jonathan brookens former ufc or ultimate fighter contestant and uh, even common worthy who's you know co-headlining this card as well too Uh, he knocked him out in the first round back at uh, btc1 in 2017 Um, he did go over to i believe it was romania got a victory over there and then got a quick turnaround against diego ferreira which was his ufc debut uh he fought in romania november 19th and then roughly about two to three weeks later, comes in and fights Diego Fajeda on December 8th. Big step up for him. Obviously, super short notice. Uh, he goes out there in the first round and just puts it on Diego Fajeda. Kind of like the Justin Janes uh, thing against Frank Camacho. He knew, you know, short, uh, short notice. He knew he probably had the knockout power to do it. So he's just going to go out there try to rush it, uh, try to catch their opponent off guard. You know, James was successful, he put Camacho out. Unfortunately for Kyle Nelson, he was not able to put out Diego Fajera. Fajera comes out there, uh, takes advantage of the gas dump and the adrenaline dump of Kyle Nelson and finishes him in the second round. Matt Sales, you know, has a very good first round against Kyle Nelson. Uh, Kyle Nelson kind of trips or something up against the cage and then Matt Sales just unloads on him for the rest of the round. The next round, Kyle Nelson just controls Matt Sales completely on the ground, just not able to get the finish there. And then in the third round, it really looked like the the cardio was hurting for Kyle Nelson. And Matt, Matt Stiles was able to really, you know, take advantage, capitalize on that, and then get the arm triangle choke. It didn't seem like there was much fight from Kyle Nelson to got, try to get out of it. He just seemed completely spent at that point in time. Uh, so he comes out on the losing end there. And then the Pol- Polo Reyes fight, you know, that's the type of fight where Kyle Nelson will probably win is if a guy goes in there and tries to strike for him, you know, strike for strike, stand in the pocket and try to, you know, just go guns blazing. And Polo Reyes, you know, very, very questionable uh, chin, especially at that point in time. I believe that was his last fight in the UFC as well, because that would have put him at eight and eight. Uh, 500 fighter for Polo Reyes, weird. Like, he did have a little bit of a glimpse of hope and, and potential at a certain point, but then it just completely went downhill for him. But good one for Kyle Nelson there, especially in uh, Polo Reyes' his backyard and now in he comes against Billy Quarantillo, um, very, very tough fight here, you know, it's first round knockout for Kyle Nelson or bust, because I truly think that the pace and pressure that uh, Billy Quarantillo puts on his opponents is just second to none, I truly see that, we'll I truly believe that we'll see Billy Quarantillo go out there and get a submission victory, you know, he's on a Three, six, seven fight, winning streak now. Uh, you know, questionable decision last time around against Spike Carlisle. On MMA decisions, a lot of the fans actually had Billion Quarant or sorry, Spike Carlisle winning that fight. And on first watch, first watch, I thought Quarantilla won as well, or sorry, Carlisle won as well. Uh, but my main thing over there was I actually had under two and a half in that bet, or, or in that fight. And obviously that didn't end up hitting. There's so many opportunities for that fight to get finished, but neither guy could really capitalize on it. Crazy, crazy fight. But somebody tweeted to me earlier this week, um, there's never a boring Billy Q fight, you know what I mean? The guy always goes out there and brings it. And I truly think he he has what it takes to go out there and beat Kyle Nelson and break Kyle Nelson. Um, so him to win inside the distance at plus 110 is a decent line like I think that's the better line to play than him to you know just win outright at minus 255 which is what I believe he currently is at minus 250 so I do very much like the inside the distance especially at plus money Um, I think you know as long as he gets out of that first round uh, he could even get it done in that first round too like his pace and pressure and his black belt in jiu-jitsu really really helps him uh, you know get a lot of these uh, positions uh, you know, Kyle Nelson doesn't seem the greatest on the ground, uh, and I again, I think just the pace and uh, the, the, the forward movement and, and the relentlessness of Billy Q is really going to catch up to Colin Nelson at a certain point here, uh, especially if this fight just hits the ground right off the bat, I think Kyle Nelson is in trouble. So, uh, you know, the fun prop to all we spoke with Billy Q was him to win inside the third round, but I think he could get it done even sooner. Um, so I'm not really looking to bet him uh, by a round uh i'd like to bet him by uh by submission we don't have access to that line as of yet at least at the time of this recording uh but uh him to win inside the distance is plus 110 so uh, i like that Uh, i like that spot here um very you know i think kyle nelson is just a little bit too outmatched here uh you know again now nelson has solid striking he has solid power in his hands but if he's not able to use that effectively and i don't see him being able to use it effectively here against Billy Q uh I think he's going to be in trouble so I do like Billy Q to win this fight I'm going to say by second round submission I could absolutely see it happening in the first round too because I don't really believe too much in Kyle Nelson's takedown defense either uh so I do think we'll see Billy Q get this fight to to the ground at a certain point and then start to work his jiu-jitsu work his way to his back and get a rear naked choke so uh, I can't wait to see what Billy Q really has to to offer here uh just going back to the Spike Carlisle fight real quick though like he had a lot of those submissions locked up, but uh, Spike Carlo just is so explosive, uh, so strong, and he's just able to get out of these weird and awkward positions compared to Kyle and I don't think he has the same explosiveness, and I don't think he has the same uh, submission defense either. So I truly think that Billy Q will be able to get a submission relatively easy in this fight, as long as he doesn't get knocked down in the first round on the feet. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with Billy Q to win this fight via second round submission bobby green versus alan patrick we got minus 255 on bobby green plus 215 on alan patrick uh let's start off with bobby green you know active bobby green we got uh bobby green coming in for his third fight in three months just under three months uh the man is staying active he's loving this whole COVID thing uh and he's staying healthy which is you know pretty much been the the unfortunate uh derailment of bobby green's career over the last couple years um, I think an active Bobby Green is a dangerous Bobby Green you know we've seen in his last couple of fights the Clay Guida fight was a little bit of a you know just kind of a bit of a toss up for him uh, the Lando Venata fight was a great fight for him to to kind of right that wrong of the, the first uh, draw that they had and now here he is against Alan Patrick who you know uh, Patrick is a is a dangerous opponent but he himself is battling injuries and, and being able to stay active inside the cage. Patrick this is going to be his first fight since UFC 229 which is actually when Khabib fought McGregor way back in October of 2018 so we're approaching close to two full years of Patrick being off. Uh, this is a good for Bobby Green you know I think if uh, Patrick was active as well too uh, the odds might be a little bit closer. Um, you know Patrick has a very um, imposing style a very grinding type of game plan that he always brings into his fights um, but Bobby Green great hands uh, solid chin great experience um, you know decent wrestling and jujitsu. Um, but there are times where it get, seems like he's you know he gets lackadaisical yeah, we saw those a little bit more in the Dracar close fight and the Francisco Tornaldo fights, and it seems like he's kind of turned it around for these last two fights against Guido and Venata, um, but if anybody's going to, you know, try to stifle the game plan or, or the forward movement of green, it's going to be Patrick. Um, but the 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 heavy x factor of him being out of the ring for so long has me a little bit more cautious about taking Patrick here with that said even taking uh Bobby Walker or Bobby Green I don't know why I wanted to say Bobby Walker uh, that'd be a pretty cool name anyway but uh Bobby Green minus 255 that's a little bit too wide for me you know that I do feel like the fight could be a little bit closer um you know take away the the layoff for Patrick Uh, You know, him closing the distance and him pushing Bobby Green up against the cage and possibly securing takedowns is a high probability. I think that could absolutely happen. Uh, It just depends on if he's going to be able to get in there and just feel like himself. Uh, You know, his fight against Scott Holtzman, uh, that was a tough one. You know, Scott Holtzman is an explosive, strong, quick fighter, um, you know, great all around fighter. um, And we saw what happens when Patrick is not able to get the fight to the ground. I don't think that we'll see Bobby Green have as much success as Holtzman did in terms of keeping this fight on the feet um, as I just feel like Holtzman is just, you know, I feel like Holtzman has the better hips in terms of being able to stuff takedowns, um, better with the speed, better with the explosiveness. Uh, Bobby Green, you know, solid, decent speed, um, decent explosiveness, but I just think that Patrick has such a swarming style that it's tough for for guys to really get out of his grasps. You know, he was able to be successful against Damien Brown, Stevie Ray, and Demir Hadzic. And obviously those guys are not Bobby Green level. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, b- I believe Demir Hadzic brings a little bit more power to the game than Bobby Green. Uh, and Stevie Ray has a little bit, you know, decent technical striking. But uh, Patrick was still able to go out there and and, and grind these guys out. Uh, Bobby Green, maybe not the greatest game off of his back. So I, think, I, don't, I don't think that would be too tough for Patrick to stay out of submissions but um man the 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 layoff has me uh, you know a little bit hesitant uh i will still pick patrick to win this fight i do believe that he has all the chops and 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 i just like his grinding style you know i mean against guys that aren't as explosive as like a mirabek taisamoff or a scott holtzman i feel like patrick could have his way with them so um you know bobby green needs to fight urgent in this fight he needs to stay on his feet uh he needs to keep moving if he just you know kind of plods and and starts talking shit and gets caught up in that game before he knows it, he's gonna have lost a 29 28 or 30 27 because Patrick is just holding him up against the cage, or taking him down, and just grinding him out that way. You know, Bobby Green just—he sometimes he's his own enemy at times, and I think that uh, in this fight against uh, Patrick, he he really needs to. to to be on to be sharp like he needs to make sure that Patrick isn't successful pushing him up against the cage um you know and and just stalling you know because judges will score that for Patrick especially if Green isn't being active uh so I do think that Green has the advantage in the striking I think you know he he is slightly faster on the feet uh Patrick's gonna have to you know utilize his kicks uh wait for the right time to push Bobby Green up against the cage and then start working for his takedowns because that's where he's going to do his best work so i'm gonna take patrick to win this fight um I, I probably won't end up betting it though you know even though like if you go out there and you think that somebody's gonna win a fight especially if there are plus 220 favorite, you're probably gonna to want to bet them but the the layoff has me a little bit cautious so uh, i'm gonna stay away from betting this fight but i will take the underdog to win uh and i just feel like the line is a little bit too wide if you give me minus 150 on bobby green i'd be a little bit more comfortable on that side but i still like patrick here um so I'm going to go with Alan Petric to win this 5 via decision. Ed Herman versus Mike Rodriguez. We got minus 255 on slow, Mike. And we got plus 215 on Ed Herman. It seems like the line is slowly closing a little bit. Um... Rodriguez did open minus 245 got down to minus 265 and slowly hovered back to minus 255 so it kind of makes sense uh the inside the distance line has just dropped as well too so we got Herman inside the distance at plus 480 I think that's a little bit ridiculous uh they believe that he has a better chance of winning by decision than they do uh inside the distance obviously slow Mike Rodriguez minus minus one thirty two inside the distance makes a ton of sense there especially off of his big victory over Marcin Pracnio last time around so let's start off with big slow um you know he he did have that good performance against pracnio but there's always been that question about pracnio and his durability he's pretty much gotten deaded in all of his ufc fights that he's uh been a part of uh and we know that mike rodriguez has a lot of power the guy is a big guy and especially when you're getting hit by uh him in the in the clinch with those elbows you're definitely going to take a lot of damage or you're definitely going to go down i think if it was ed herman too ed herman probably would have gone down as well too um you know the the fight doesn't go to decision is minus 210 uh makes a little bit of sense there too uh but i'm interested to see what they're going to drop the over under at if it's uh set at two and a half i'd be very interested to actually you know take a stab at the under uh two and a half with it being at minus 210 for the fight to not go to decision i'm assuming we will get like minus 180 or something like that for or sorry uh it will probably be a little bit higher minus 180 minus 185 sounds about right for the under two and a half but we'll we'll see what they set it at it'll probably be one and a half if I'm being honest um but you know I, I do think that Rodriguez is you know rightfully favored here do I feel comfortable with him at minus 255 a little bit you know this is a veteran test against Mike uh Ed Herman here you know um Uh, Ed Herman has a lot of miles on him uh he was obviously supposed to fight Gerald Mirchart a couple weeks ago uh August 1st I believe it was and then Mirchart pulls out the day of uh due to testing positive for COVID uh and we were close to getting a fight with him and Kevin Holland uh Kevin Holland had offered to to fight um to to fight Gerald Mirchart especially after um Trevin Giles pulled out as well due to I believe nerves or something whatever it was but that was that weird event where like so many people were getting struck by the COVID and then we had Giles pass out uh before walking out and we also had another fighter who passed out after their fight i think it was Joanne Caldwell who passed out after her fight so it was such a weird night august august 1st for that fight night uh you know ed herman as soon as he got the news that joel mearshart was uh tested positive for COVID and that they were not going to have that fight he hopped on a plane already started drinking and just got the fuck out of there so they weren't able to to get that kevin holland fight in but here he is you know just a, over a month uh afterwards uh fighting uh, Mike Rodriguez who's stepping in on short notice uh originally Herman was supposed to fight Joe Muhardt Muhard pulls out and steps Jan- John Allen. Uh, allen pulls out and and Mike Rodriguez to take the short notice opportunity and I think it's a great spot for Mike Rodriguez you know uh, I think he has more power right now slightly more athletic slightly more explosive uh the only thing uh Herman really has going for him is his durability. Last time he got put out was Nikita Krilov back in 2016. Uh, obviously, before that was Derek Brunson in 2015. Uh, but I think that he hasn't really fought anybody with the punching power of Mike Rodriguez uh, since Nikita Krilov. And even Krilov, you know, decent decent uh, power puncher. But it was really the head kick that got Ed Herman in that fight. CB Dalloway, not really a power puncher. Gian Vellante, not a power puncher. Patrick Cummins more so a wrestler. Uh, and Khadiz Ibrahimov, I don't even want to get into that guy. Uh, so with Mike Rodriguez here I think it's uh, either either guy is capable of a finish You know what I mean uh, if you have money on Mike Rodriguez I wouldn't mind uh, if you threw up a little bit of uh, hedge money on Ed Herman at plus 480 to win inside the distance because I truly think that he is capable of getting a finish here over a young upstart in Mike Rodriguez so uh this, one, this one's a little bit tougher to call. I am leaning towards Mike Rodriguez. I think he should win this fight. I think he will be able to put out Ed Herman. Uh, but the under two and a half is kind of what I'm hoping for. If he can get a decent line on that, I might throw a little bit of change on that. Uh, but I do like Rodriguez to win here. I think he's going to be the stronger guy. I think once Ed Herman really feels him, he's going to be like, fuck it. You know, especially in the clinch, I think he's going to have a lot of trouble dealing with a, a big guy like Mike Rodriguez here. Uh, just talking about like statistic or uh physiques uh 6'1 f- 75 inch reach for Ed Herman and for slow Mike we got 6'4 82 and a half inch reach so uh Herman's really going to be outgunned in terms of physique here uh and especially strength as well too so uh I-, I do like Mike Rodriguez to win this fight I think he just puts it together uh gets into the clinch and really starts to tear apart Ed Herman with some knees and hopefully it opens up some elbows for him as well too but I think this fight uh it- there's a good chance it will go under one and a half, um, but uh, you know I would I, I would need to see those odds to really be tempted to really take the shot there. So I'm taking Mike Rodriguez to win this fight via second round KO. You know what? Let's go first round KO. I, I I think he should definitely win this fight. It's his chin that has me a little bit iffy, which is why I would rather go with the the under rather than picking Mike Rodriguez. Uh, but yeah, I, I do like Rodriguez, and he should definitely win this fight. So I'm going to take him to win by first round KO. Andrea Lee versus Roxanne Montefiore. We got minus 310 for KGB Lee and plus 255 for Roxanne Montefiore. Uh, No over-unders or anything like that Um, and I bring that up for a reason. You guys will see why afterwards. So let's start off with Roxanne Montefiore. She's coming off a loss to Lauren Murphy last time around. That was back at uh, June 20th so she's making a relatively quick or you know standard turnaround just under three months later here against Andrea Lee a very very tough opponent uh it's funny because both of them had their last opponents as Lauren Murphy um both of them coming up on the short end uh Andrea Lee probably getting robbed uh but we'll talk about that a little bit when we get over to Andrea Lee so what do we get with Roxanne Montefiore uh you know a veteran probably has uh the most amount of women's MMA fights gotta be you know I, I can't fact check that right now uh for you guys but uh, she's definitely been around for a while um she made her pro debut back in 2003 so she's been fighting for at least 17 years now she's been on the ultimate fighter she's been in the ufc she's been out of the ufc she's been back in the ufc she's fought in invicta she's fought all over the place um so she's coming into her, what is it, 31st, 40, 42nd MMA fight. Uh, and in terms of age, she's all the way up at 37 years old. So, uh, you know, she's been around the block. She's seen a lot of different styles. Uh, and she continues to, you know, pretty much ex- exchange wins and losses. It's crazy. Since she's come off the Ultimate Fighter, she lost to Nico Montano. She beat Barba Honchak. She lost to Sejara Eubanks. She beat Anton- Antonina Shevchenko. Lost to Jennifer Maya beat macy beat macy barber and then lost to Lord murphy and now here she is against andrea lee so based on the patterning you got to think that she's going to go out there and beat andrea lee right probably not um in the Laura Murphy fight uh you know we we saw what happened when she's not able to initiate and get her takedowns um you know Lauren Murphy did a good job of like you know digging for underhooks, uh, working off the cage uh and then just implementing her strong striking that's that's the difference here with uh, Andrew Lee and her like last two opponents uh you know um, Roxanne Montefiore doesn't really have the best hands. She doesn't really have the best striking. She's very rudimentary with it. Uh, she looks very awkward and, and stiff when she's throwing to, uh, like, she, she just does not look comfortable at all on the feet. Um, you know, you'd think with the type of striking she has, she would have that Fabinsky style, that bartosz Fabinsky style of just, like, using her strikes to push her opponent up against the cage and then initiate the clinch and try to get the takedown. But she goes out there and strikes a little bit more than she probably should. You know, we saw her get rocked in the Lauren Murphy fight, and, yeah, she didn't get finished there, but, uh, you know, it, it it didn't look good for her whenever this fight was on the feet. Um Lauren Murphy, you know, kind of a stronger woman, uh, so she was able to do well in those clinch positions. Uh, Solid striking, uh, and we obviously saw that here. and yeah, that, that was, you know, in hindsight, I'm kind of bummed at myself for not really taking the shot on Lauren Murphy there because that fight was pretty much a pick from the get-go. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm bummed I didn't really spot that when that fight was going down back at June 20th. Uh, but, you know, props to anybody that took that Lauren Murphy shot. Uh, Roxanne Roxane Farris, she, she really just has the path to victory in terms of getting her opponents down. If she's not able to get her opponents down and keep them down, she's going to have a lot of uh, difficulty in my opinion. And I think she's going to have some difficulty here against Andrea Lee. Um, she might be able to get her down. Will she be able to keep her down? I don't think so. You know, I think Andrea Lee is pretty well versed in terms of getting back to her feet. Uh, she was taken down by Joanne Calderwood. She was taken down by Lauren Murphy. Uh, but, you know, she was able to find her way back to her feet um, in, in those situations. Uh, th- there's not too much else to say about Roxana Furry. Again, when she's not really able to implement her... her 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 grappling and her takedowns she has a tough time she you know her most notable win to date has got to be Antonina Shevchenko you know that Macy Barber fight obviously has an asterisk over it just due to Macy Barber having that uh, knee injury that she sustained I think in the first or second round but the Shevchenko win that was a clean win you know she went out there got Shevchenko down over and over again and was able to implement from on top I think Andrea Lee has a lot more to offer uh, from the top position than uh or sorry even from the bottom than antonia shevchenko did um so yet uh moving over to andrea lee you know very complete fighter in my opinion even though she's coming off of two split decision losses in those fights i believe you know she did there's an argument that she did lose in a joanne calderwood fight i'm okay with that but the the Lauren murphy fight that was an absolute robbery you know even if you look over at mma decisions that like pretty much everybody there wasn't one media member that gave that fight to to and even the um, the the scoring the fan scoring like it was there was more 30 27s than there were 29 28s uh the, there were more 30 27 and 29 28 for Andrew Lee than there was even a 29 28 for Lauren Murphy and let's not forget that one of the judges gave all three fucking rounds to Lauren Murphy so that was that was absolute bullshit you know that those first two rounds in my opinion were clearly Andrew Lee that third round, you can make a little bit of an argument for Lauren Murphy, but yeah, that was an Andrea Lee fight. I think what really swayed, swayed the ju- judges there was that they thought it was a little bit closer of a fight on the feet, but if you really watch that fight, Andrea Lee was piecing up Lauren Murphy and was really doing well in terms of the output too. Um, but then in the last like 30 seconds of that first and second round lauren murphy was able to secure a takedown but even with those takedowns she did absolutely nothing with it so if you have top position for 30 seconds with no damage being rained down you should not be you know okay she got the takedown uh, at the end of a pretty even round it wasn't an even round you really got to watch that fight and, and see the, the the technical striking of andrew lee how often she was hitting her how clean she was hitting her how much she was getting lauren murphy to miss too so uh yeah, that, that one was a was a rough one. I don't think I had money on that one. I did have money on Andrea Lee in and the Joanne Calderwood fight. That one was disappointing, but I can't be too bad or too mad at that. As I did think that Cal- Calderwood did enough work to actually get that decision. But the Lauren Murphy one, even if I had money on that or didn't have money on that, it's just ridiculous that that, that Lauren Murphy was given the judges out there. But here, I think Andrew Lee will have a lot more success against Roxanne Manaferi. And those two fights against Calderwood and Murphy, the only difference is here with Montefiore is that uh, Murphy and Calderwood actually had legit striking. They have good striking, you know, for women's MMA standards. She has good striking, or or they had decent enough striking. Montefiore, on the other hand, I think that Andrew Lee is going to be able to dance circles around her. Uh, you know, pretty much mix up combinations. She has a solid like she has solid length too which should be able to pay, uh, play a little bit of a factor into here. It says the height uh, modifier has a 1-inch height advantage, uh, and then uh, Lee just has a 0.5-inch um, reach advantage. But I feel like when it really comes down to the striking, you'll see the smoother, crisper striking of Andrea Lee start to pay off here. Uh, she'll be able to keep Roxanne Modafferi at bay, um, really keeping her on the end of her punches and her kicks. And I, did, you know, I think that we will see instances where Modafferi pushes Andrea Lee up against the cage and possibly secures a takedown. But I don't think it, she'll be able to hold her down long enough to be able to really, you know, accrue points. And thankfully, we're in Vegas where we have a little bit better judging than we did have in texas when andrea lee fought uh lord murphy uh so i don't think that we'll see the judges score the takedowns at the end of a round or or something like that especially if modafari is not able to one hold her down long enough to get enough damage uh and then obviously andrea Lee is andrea Lee should be able to get back to her feet she has solid jiu-jitsu as well too so there's nothing to worry about there she's a brown belt um you know I think I think we'll see her uh hold her own if it does get into the grappling exchanges but I think we'll see this fight mainly play out on the feet where Andrea Lee should be able to have more than enough success and I think a sneaky prop here might be Andrea Lee to win inside the distance you know Montefiore has taken a lot of damage in the last couple of fights uh I think Lee is a really good precision striker she may not have a ton of power and she hasn't really finished a fight uh via strikes since 2017 but This might be a good spot, you know, in terms of the discrepancy with the striking. I think Andrea Lee has a good shot of landing good enough uh, strikes on Montefiore to to rock her, drop her and, you know, maybe club and sub type of thing or even just, you know, follow up punches. But I do like Andrea Lee to win this fight. Uh, You know, she's one of my stronger leans on the card. Obviously, it's the only thing that would keep you a little bit skeptical here is if Montefiore is uh, successful early and often with the takedowns i just don't think it i think lee moves well enough that she'll be able to get out of the way um you know she looked like she came back rejuvenated in that lord murphy fight from the Joanne Calderwood fight like we saw a little bit more of an output for her we saw her you know uh, put a little bit more oomph behind her strikes obviously it was those late takedowns that kind of swayed the judges when they shouldn't have uh but that was an easy win for andrea lee in my opinion so uh she got robbed last time i don't think she'll get robbed this time uh i really like her in this spot Um, you know obviously totally worth uh, the minus 300 hundredish line that she's currently at Um, but yeah I think uh, Lee takes this fight you know obviously the safe play is decision but I'm assuming the inside the distance is going to be something crazy because the fight doesn't go to decision is lined at minus 350 so sorry plus 250 for the fight to not go to decision if Lee by decision might be like uh, minus 115 uh, her inside the distance might be like plus two i don't know maybe plus 300 or something like that i'm not 100 percent sure but if it's better than like plus 400 or something i might take a little bit of a shot so i'll take andrea lee by second round tko uh just to you know just just to throw some spice in there, but I do like Andrea Lee to win this fight, Uh and yeah, th- this would be a great fight for her to bounce back and snap that two-fight losing streak she's on, uh, and hopefully the judges don't screw her this time. Kama Worthy versus Ottman Azitar. We got minus 135 on Worthy, and plus 115 on Azitar. Uh, the over-under is at one and a half. With the under being uh, plus 115, uh, the fight doesn't go to decision. is 275. So if there was this was set at 2.5, I'd probably be looking at the under. Uh, but 1.5 makes it a little bit tricky. Let's start off with Otman Azatar. 12-0. Had a very spectacular knockout last time at UFC 242 against Timo Paklin, where he just bombed on him with an overarm right. It was a thing of beauty. It was, it was a very, very nice knockout. Um, and, and that's kind of been like the the tale of ottman's game or at least his resume has had uh 12 victories eight of them coming by first round stoppage he's had one of them to win via decision uh and then he had a second round or third round ko against alejandro martinez where he had a beautiful uh body kick where it pretty much just hit the right on the liver we saw alejandro pretty much drop and tap immediately like Uh, It's not often that you see a guy tap to a livery kick, like he tries to cover it up as best as possible and tries to get out of there. But Martinez, he was three and all going into that fight, so still relatively young in his MMA career, and he just could not handle that pain at all. So solid win for Ottman there. you know, it, it seemed like if he was going up against a more, you know, veteran-savvy opponent, the second and third rounds could be a little bit crazier, or at least a little bit closer, I should I should say. Um, you know, Oddman, he, he comes on that first round, and he always looks to take your hat off. He doesn't spend himself in terms of, like, completely gassing himself out in that first round, hoping for that KO, but that's where he is most dangerous. Um, you know, it can get a little bit sketchy for him in the third, a second and third round against a, a appropriate opposition. But with Kamal Worthy, on the other hand, the guy is mainly a counter puncher or a counter striker. You know, if you watch the Luis Pena fight, he's mainly waiting for those openings that Pena gives him. And then he starts launching that right hand. You know, he he uses his left hand to kind of gauge the distance and kind of throw some feints out there. But it's really the right hand that he's looking to throw. And if he's not able to land it, you know, he could easily lose a decision if he's not, um, you know, active enough. He throws some kicks here and there, but it's just not enough, in my opinion uh you know obviously having forward pressure and forward movement helps a little bit but uh there are questions that can be given to Kama if he's fighting a guy with a more complete uh game plan you know I think Ottman has a little bit more tools in the shed where he's able to you know not just rely on a counter strike or on one punch he throws a, a couple combinations uh likes his leg kicks as well too but uh he's mainly a puncher he's a power puncher at that um This should be a fun fight. I just don't know whether it's going to go over or under one round. I think the best spot for Ottman would be a round one KO. uh, And him to win inside round one is plus 350. And that's kind of my favorite prop here. I'm still not a comma worthy believer. You know what I mean? I did fade him heavy last time with Luis Pena. And that was my bad in terms of thinking that Luis Pena was a little bit further ahead. Yet here he goes and loses via one-armed guillotine uh, in the third round. Uh, when he, he's inside control, up against the cage, call it. It was a weird uh, uh, type of positioning, but man, you should not be losing via guillotine like that uh, at this type of level. So, unfortunately, loss for him there. Uh, but yeah, common worthy. I, I'm still not a believer. Uh, the fact that he's a minus one thirty five favorite here a part of me wants to fade him once again but i don't know if Otman is the guy you know Otman does have some potential i still need to see more from him even if he goes out there and knocks out kama worthy in the first round i still need to see more from him i need to see more from him against like higher level of competition kama he's on a roll right now and a lot of people are on him and a part of me hopes that he goes out there and starches Otman so that we can get a better price to fade him in his next fight um so I will go with Otman to win this. I think that he will be a little bit more active in that first round. I think he'll be able to draw out the counters of Worthy and then follow up with a counter of his own uh, to be able to you know put him out and, and, and get the victory that way. So I'm not a worthy believer. I still am not, even though I lost a good chunk of money betting against him last time, at super-juiced odds as well, albeit with Luis Pena. But, uh, you know, Otman Azatar... I, I, I'm a little bit skeptical to a uh, plus, uh, plus money right now. Uh, you know, if you give me plus 150 or plus 180, I'd probably take the shot. But plus 115, plus 120 is a little bit, uh, you know, not not worthy enough. I hope you guys were... I, I had to fit it in there, right? I had to fit in the worthy pro, uh, pun. I just had to do it. Uh, but either way, I'm going to go with Otman to win this fight via first round KO. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, it, I could I could absolutely see it a situation where you know both guys don't get land that knockout punch in that first round, and we see this drag on to the second or third round and a possible finish there. So if you are looking for a violence bet here, uh you know the best value in my opinion is Otman Azatar in the first round at plus three fifty, um or yeah, I know it's a little bit juiced minus two seventy five when the fight doesn't go to decision because I do think that. Uh, Uh, they will find a finish at some certain at some point again one and a half is just not enough time for me two and a half i would definitely be betting the under but uh yeah i i can't do it at this point so final prediction otman Azatara to win this fight via first round ko time for the main event we got angela hill versus michelle watterson uh this should be a decent fight you know i mean um, it's unfortunate that Glover Teixeira and Tiago Santos fell out. Uh, they get pushed to, I believe, October 3rd, and we're left with Michelle Watterson and Angela Hill, and luckily, at least they accept the fact that they're going to possibly be going five rounds, so they reschedule this thing from three rounds to five rounds. So, uh, the odds, we got, uh, minus 125, slight favorite for Angela Hill, plus 105 for Michelle Watterson. The over-under at four and a half, a lot of people are thinking that this is going to go over, which is why it's minus 280. Um, So let's start off with Angela Hill coming off a controversial decision loss to Claudia Godilla last time around, uh, but not that, not that. controversial i believe we did a deciding splits on this me and tony and we did actually give it to Godella because we thought that she had the better shots in that third round obviously first round going to claudia second round going to uh, hill and then third round we thought went to Godella. uh the masses on mma decisions definitely did not think that as they thought that angela hill deserved to win that decision uh, again this is not a deciding splits episode so i'm not going to go into how why we think that uh, claudia won that fight um but yet um Hilda's have fights where she fights closely you know what I mean she does have a couple of split decisions on her record uh one thing that she always seems to rely on a lot is her output and her activity uh you know there doesn't seem to be a lot of stinging shots uh or, or like power behind the shots that she's throwing but she's throwing volume she's she's throwing output and um if you look at her ufc stats page you'll see that there are a couple times where she's hit the 100 strikes mark and it's evident with her style, like she moves a, moves a lot, like she's throwing combinations, like to end, likes to end them with kicks, but she doesn't throw much behind them, which seems to give her that like cardio edge in some of her fights because she's just not throwing enough behind her shots, so she's able to conserve her energy for the full 15 or 25 minutes. Speaking of 25 minutes, this is going to be her third time being scheduled for a 25 minute fight, whereas this is going to be the sixth time that Michelle Watterson has been scheduled for five rounds. So uh, you got to give the championship rounds uh, or at least the training camps uh, edge to Michelle Watterson, not to mention the camp she's at over there Jackson's. You know, she's been around for a long time. She's a veteran of the game. Um. Even though, what's this? So Watterson has, this is going to be her 26th fight. And this will be the 21st fight for Angela Hill. So Watterson has a little bit of an edge in terms of total amounts of fights uh watterson did go pro in 2007 while angela hill went pro in 2014 so she has about a seven-year pro advantage on her t- and she has over eight fights uh more than her as well too but you know michelle watterson former invicta champ uh, angela hill former invicta champ as well too um who's had the more i'd say angela hill has had the more like overall i don't know it's tough to say better ufc career considering the fact that michelle watterson you know her losses are to Rose mayunas tisha torres juani and Jacek, and a split decision to Carlos Barza. close fights you know what i mean uh and the high level opponents too uh but she has beaten Paige van zandt she's beaten courtney casey felice herg and carolina Kar- Kar- kovalkovich uh and now here she is against angela hill um even though she's nicknamed the Karate Hottie, you can't just expect, you know, karate kicks or like a karate stance or that type of striking from her strictly. You know what I mean? She has an overall MMA game. She's really good. She has sneaky good takedowns. She has solid submissions. She does have a couple of submission victories on her record as well, too. Uh, Angela Hill, mainly a, a point fighter on the feet. Um, you know, people can say what they want about her making strides in her grappling because she went out there and grounded and pounded Hannah Cyphers. But let's not forget that she went out there and got armbarred by Aranda Marcos you know i mean i'm not trying to shit on random marcos or anything like that but i truly believe that michelle watterson has the better jiu-jitsu than random marcos um marcos slightly bigger than watterson as well too so maybe there's a slight advantage in terms of strength there as well uh but i think that technically Waterson is the better uh, jiu-jitsu player so i think if this fight does hit the ground watterson will definitely have the advantage. Um, I'd be surprised to see Angela Hill go out there and try to get this fight to the ground. You know, I do think that she believes and the world believes her best path to victory is just throwing more strikes than Michelle Watterson and hopefully, you know, having more forward movement and forward output uh, compared to what, Ma- what Michelle Watterson is throwing uh, in return. Uh, the concerning thing about Michelle Watterson is that, um, you know, Carlos Sparza looked kinda good on the feet against her and that was kinda surprising because a lot of people thought that Carla's path to victory in that fight was to continuously get the fight to the ground and try to win that way. But uh you know she she stayed competitive on the feet. I truly thought going into that fight that Waterson would blow her away on the feet, but that was not the case. So Michelle Watterson I'm not sure I'm not sure if she's showing a little bit of regression or anything like that, but she's gonna have to step up her game when it comes to the striking because if she's not able to get it to the ground which is a different story that I'll touch on right in, very soon. Um, you know, Angela Hill is going to have a little bit of a field day on the feet in terms of just throwing output and getting in, at, in and out uh, and, uh, you, you know, just scoring points in that aspect. Uh, in terms of the metrics of, of uh, their, their physique, we got 5'3", 64 and a half inch reach for Angela Hill and then we got 5'3", 62 inch reach for Michelle watson A part of me it feels like Angela Hill would have a slight height advantage here but I guess we'll wait and see when they actually face off at the weigh-ins uh what it looks like but um you know, Watterson moves well, kicks well, so it doesn't mean too much in terms of if there is an actual size advantage for Angela Hill because I feel like the kicks of Watterson, you know, cover range pretty well too. Um, you know, her karate background it does very well for her in terms of moving in and out of distance, um, but I think it's going to come down to her mixing in her karate stances and, and her her kicks and her striking with the takedowns. It's it, I think that's where she truly starts to... D- separate herself in this fight. A lot of people are hot on Angela Hill right now just because of like, you know, she has this this character right now where she's just going out there and just trying to get as many fights as possible. In twenty nineteen she went out there and got four fights. In twenty twenty now this is gonna be her fourth fight since January twenty fifth. You know I mean she's just building up this this fan base and I feel like that's reflecting on the the betting line a little bit because I feel like Michelle Watterson is definitely the better fighter. Um my concern in terms of wanting to vet Michelle Watterson here is just the, the performance that we got from her in the Carlos Esparza fight. People can call it a robbery if they want in terms of whether Carlos Esparza deserved that victory or not, but... We can all admit that we did expect to see a better Michelle Watterson, especially with that fight taking place mainly on the feet outside of the ending of that first round. So um, that's a little bit of a concern. But if we do get like vintage Michelle Watterson where she looks good, her kicks look good, her output looks fine, and she's able to mix in the takedowns, I think she definitely has the advantage here against Angela Hill. Um... And in terms of age, they're they're the same age, so you can't really say that one one fighter is you know gonna have an age or a youth advantage here. They're they're the same. You know, if anything, Michelle Waterson just has a little bit more experience on her belt. So I'm gonna go with Michelle Waterson here. I'm I think that she will be successful in getting this fight to the ground. Uh, you know, at least once around, and at a certain point, whether it's the third or fourth round, I think we see her go out there and get a submission. Uh, you know. I'm still questioning Angela Hill's grappling and, and, and jiu-jitsu game. So I do think that we'll see Watterson go out there and and be successful in locking up an arm bar or a triangle choke or a rear naked choke of some sort. Uh, but I do like Watterson here. Um, I, I'd like to monitor the line. I'd like to see uh, if it does get a little bit wider because plus 105 is just not intriguing enough for me. Uh, you know, If there is more love that comes in on Angela Hill, uh i i might change my stance and and take a shot on michelle watterson depending on if we get like plus 130 or something like that but i, I highly 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 doubt that watterson inside the distance though uh plus 400 not too bad Waterson by uh by submission uh plus 540 not bad either so possibly worth a little bit of a poke there but i'm taking watterson to win this fight via dis, uh submission I'm going to call it fourth round, maybe fifth round. Uh, it's It's been tough in terms of picking exact rounds lately. So I'll say either third or fourth round, maybe fifth round. Fuck it. That's it. You know what? All right. Final decision. Fourth round submission for Michelle Watterson. All right. That's the breakdowns. I appreciate you guys being patient this week with me getting this content out. Um, It's kind of good that my podcast got pushed back a little bit just due to the late edition of Romanov and Martinez. And, uh, you know, Jalen Turner stepping in for Frank Camacho. I'm sure, just given, you know, the trend of the last couple weeks, uh, that there might be a weigh-in day or fight day uh, late edition or, or somebody dropping out, whatever the fuck. Regardless um i'm I'm just happy to get this out for you guys so i appreciate you guys and hope you guys watch it if you haven't subscribed already make sure you guys hit subscribe below we've hit that thousand subscriber mark uh you know it's been a couple weeks now but i'm still ecstatic about it super happy that i was able to achieve that milestone and um hit up the Patreon, the Patreon as well, hit another milestone as well, over 100 patrons over there, a lot of people are getting really good value for their money, it's only 5 bucks a month, and then if I win you some money and you want to be a little bit more generous, you can hop on the 10 bucks a month just to throw your boy a little bit extra, um, but yeah, it's it's been great over there, you know, people are getting early breakdowns, people are getting uh, the best bets and props article, which has been cashing very nicely as well the last couple of weeks, so I appreciate you guys checking that shit out, uh, that's the best way to support your boy, check out the patreon it's going to be in the comment section below and don't forget like i said at the top of the show i do have that sweater contest um so make sure you guys uh comment below if you listen to the audio version of this on you know fucking stitcher spotify or itunes or soundcloud go over to the youtube video and uh comment all your picks for this weekend's card and i'll uh hopefully be able to come down to a winner for this sweater so um yeah all right, that's it for me. I'm going to get right to work on the following weekend's card, which is headlined by... What is a headlined by? Let me just check that real quick. It is, oh, Covington and Woodley. Can't wait to break down that card for you guys because I have a lot of strong leans on there and I can't wait to, to actually dissect it and get into it for you guys. So, yeah, I'll see you guys next week for that card. And once again, subscribe, like, uh, hit up the Patreon, and I'll see you guys next week.